Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Round 24 of the Premiership season has been played and the final table is complete. As always, the weekend's rugby provided us with plenty of drama and plenty of entertainment. And with me to chat about all of that is the beautiful and wonderful Sarah Elgin. Gosh, I love my intro so much. Uh, thanks, Lawrence. It was exciting down in the West Country, wasn't it, this weekend? I tell you, that intro was not even written for me. Either. That was from the heart. And we haven't even been out for tequilas at the weekend. Oh, Amazing. <laughs> um, okay, yes, um, good to be here, Lawrence. And it was exciting, wasn't it, at the weekend um, in the West Country. And also with us from the Evening Standard is rugby correspondent Nick Perrell. Hi, Nick. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Yeah, really good, thanks. Um, Nick, can I just say, really nice hair today. I mean, you must have got up super what are you early. What are you basing that on? Not yourself. Well, 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 well. I've got, I, just, I can show you pictures of... No, there we are. That was me when I had hair. Um, <laughs> Nick, that is serious, man. Is that wax? Or is that spray? Uh, June lid trim. Yeah, get, the, get, the, get the shears out later. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Um, good weekend. I was quite disappointed not to see you at the coronation, Lawrence, to be honest. I'm like just saying, Richie McCall was there. Mike Tindall was there, obviously. But like, I didn't see you. I know. It's amazing how, how far my star's fallen, isn't it, really, from... Uh... <laughs> From the days when uh, it used to help Prince Harry and Prince William off the field. But there we go. Um, I'll tell you <laughs> That's what, probably like, why you're not that. I'll tell you what, if my mum was alive, she'd be going, where's that bloody invitation? It's disgraceful. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It makes you laugh, doesn't it? Because every time the Kiwis and the Aussies come over, they used to get to meet the Queen like a dozen times. Yeah, we've been to Buckingham Palace again. And all the uh, the Brits and the, the English and the Welsh and Scots. We've only been once. Once is enough for us. Once is enough. I'm happy. <laughs> You've been there. You've done <laughs> I've, it. I've been there. Um, done but you, um, you were in studio, right? For the very last time in I know in, I know we're moving I know I've written my obituary actually because I put something up, up, up on the social media and I was trying to celebrate the fact it was the end of BT Sport and they thought that I was retiring <laughs> I said <laughs> oh so sorry it's amazing what nice things people say when you say you're retiring did they actually I've not read that they said, they said can you take can you take Austin and retire with, with him as well <laughs> uh, we've had some good moments in that studio though haven't we we have um Nick did you have any street parties yeah, street parties, yeah. I mean, village life, there was like a kind of a uh, few marquees and things like that on the green. So, yeah, very nice. And there's a beer festival next weekend, so people are gearing up for that. So, we'll oh, see. nice. Uh, <laughs> a bit at Saracens on Saturday, but I'll put my head in on Sunday, hopefully. So, uh, talk of a hog roast. So, I'm uh, looking forward to that. Good. You might have a headache on Monday then when we meet yeah, next week. Probably, yeah. Potentially. <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, our guest today has made 220 premiership appearances before retiring in 2018. He lifted two premiership trophies during that time one with Sale Sharks and the other with Northampton Saints. In January this year, he was elected General Secretary of the Rugby Players Association. It's Christian Day. Hey, Christian, how are you? Hello. You know, maybe we'll more reading things out like that. 
I know. I think I make everyone uncomfortable when I give them an introduction like that. That's a lot to live up to. And that sounds very important as well. I love that title, General Secretary of the Rugby Players Association. We should be like bowing or curtsying or something to you now, right? They were turning up with that this weekend. Uh, um, <laughs> it is an important role. It's, it's something that the players have voted for. I think it's important. It's democratic. And uh, I'm very proud to be fulfilling it. And Christian, you're obviously um, very passionate about the work of the RPA, having held roles over the last 12 years, long before you retired from playing. And it's a difficult thing to do because playing is hard enough. For anyone who doesn't know, give us a sort of broad church overview of what the RPA represent nowadays in the modern game. Yes, three main parts, really. We have a charity, Restart Rugby, which I'm sure you're aware of, Lawrence. We have a, a trade union arm, which is the RPA, which does things like negotiating the commercial rights for the England teams, gives legal backing to the players when they need it, as the London Irish players this week. And then we have a player development arm called Gameline, which embeds the development manager in every single club and does things like player education, uh, preparing players for retirement, uh, and also mental health support. I mean, listen, it's fantastic work. And I have to say that uh, players right from the start of the game, right the way up to the top, you know, really do rely on on the work of the RPA. And you never quite know when you might need them, actually. So uh, listen, for all four Premier Ship clubs that finished in the uh, the top of the league, there's obviously playoffs to come. For the rest of the Premiership, the season is over. It's been a season, as ever, of real highs and lows, but uh, we can't walk away from the financial chaos that has existed in rugby. Certainly at the beginning of the season with the likes of Wasps and Worcester tragically going into administration. And then obviously a bit of concerns with London Irish uh, in the last week of the season. So that's exactly why the RPA exists. You're in constant dialogue with the players. What sort of conversations are you having with them? What's the word on the street or the word on the pitch, actually, about what's actually going on in the game? And how do you alleviate those concerns for those types of players? I think you can speak about a lot of professional athletes, really. They want to be able to perform on the weekend. They want to be able to do their job. They don't want to have other things impact on that. And the actual fact that professional athletes can be incredibly kind of focused and selfish individuals they want to perform and then i just think the last two years have brought all kinds of challenges for players that have got nothing to do with them um way back to covid it, you know players playing in lockdown being isolated in changing rooms no one could watch but it was so important players got the game going again we're suffering you know real financial challenges at the moment we have to change the way the game works in that regard we need to modernize we need to change aspects of what we're doing Christian, can I ask a question, which probably is an uncomfortable one for a lot of people, but the relationship between the RFU and yourselves and the players is important, obviously very important, but can the RPA truly be independent if the funding for the RPA doesn't come from an independent source? It remains hard to be robust and have a, an independent chair when you're sort of biting the hand that feeds you in, in many ways. Yeah, so if, if you think of how we're funded, roughly a third comes from the players and, and our commercials, two-thirds comes from the game, and I want to be up front, two-thirds of our funding should come from the game. The game should look after its players. What I'm saying going forward is we need to reevaluate how we fund the support players get. If we look at the more modern established leagues around the world, and we can look at American sports, and I'll be frank, they're a completely different ball game. But the one league that really does match up to ours is the NRL. The NRL is incredibly exciting, it's elite, and it's growing. And if you look at the way their players' association is funded, they say at the start of each year, right, what percentage of the revenue belongs to the players? Then the players generate 90% plus of the revenues of rugby, so they should absolutely should get a percentage of those revenues. And then the responsible thing to do is to say, right, we're not going to spend all that percentage on player wages. We need to put a little bit aside, which looks after the players. Now, the majority of CBA sports around the world use that model. 
it's the the very modern way of doing it. And it's only rugby that has, still hasn't caught up. Is that what you mean? Is that what you're trying to say? But, I mean, how can you? And that's the point, isn't it? You know, the, the, the money, the central revenue should be given to the RPA, and then the clubs and the RFU get it, rather than get the money first and then decide how much the RPA get. And I mean, I know it's a, a challenge, but it's got to change. I mean, in my opinion. Look, I'm pushing hard that we need to do this. We need to modernise the, the PGA is up next year and gives us the opportunity to do it. I, again, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that the game does give money to support players. We have great insurance policy for career and injury. We have a fantastic player development arm in game line. I would just like to see, the players would like to see, exactly what share of the revenue they get. And then we, sh- as you say, we, we should have a say in exactly how we spend that money. Christian, in terms of a bit of balance on that, you know, everyone understands the sort of the strains and stresses that Lawrence is talking about, but there's been better sort of cooperation than ever before, hasn't there? And uh, I know we were talking about one of the sources of, of using that funding is obviously to give better protection for player safety and injury prevention and looking after injured players in the future. Yeah, as I say, there's, there's a huge amount of work that goes on that no one ever sees but really hears about. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But well, what I am saying is we can develop this further. So if you think about our salary cap, salary cap's massively important to our members. It ultimately controls how much the collective can earn. Now, every cap around the world pretty much will have all kinds of protection built into the cap, make sure that it remains as fair as can be in a very special environment. So one thing that I've stated openly is that I truly believe we need a minimum wage to come in, particularly to protect academy players. We look again, NRL, but even if we look within Rebunion, top 14, there is a minimum wage. And it's simply to protect those super low earners who we should set a fair value for a professional athlete. And you can't apply an hourly minimum wage to what a professional athlete does because some days that might be two hours over a weekend. You might go away on a Friday, get back Sunday night. How do you apply an hourly wage to that? So minimum wage is one that I'm really pushing hard. The other one is a benevolent fund at the other end. So we have our charity restart. I'll be honest, we need something that's regularly funded from the game. And again, you look at any other cap in the world, there will be a percentage of revenue put aside to protect players. We play an incredibly physical, difficult sports. And I think we're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that players will need some help post-career going forwards, be it with medical interventions, but also all kinds of other hardships. And and, and again, just the responsible and fair thing to do. And it's something I, I, I really believe. Christian, we've talked quite a lot on the pod about the exodus of players heading abroad, particularly, I guess, to the top 14 in France to play the club rugby. Does it worry you to see so many talented players leaving the Premiership? It worries me if it's a long-term thing. It's something that continues. You know, I've stated publicly, we're going into a year next year with a suppressed cap value, and I don't believe some of those players can get fair value for their talents. And therefore, then they should go abroad, should experience other cultures, something that I did and probably rescued my career and good on them for doing it. And, and, you know, speaking to Jack Willis out in Toulouse, he can't speak highly enough of their environment and the way they do things and the way they look after him. So in the short term, fine. But in the long term, that's the responsibility of the game to make sure that English players play in England. Going forwards, we need to get things back on track and make sure that they are valuable to their clubs, they're available, and they, they get a financially fair reward and that we look after them as well. We don't just play them into the ground because they are... Yeah, everyone wants to watch them, everyone wants to see them play. Uh, but again, we've got to be responsible and make sure they play the right amount for their health. Yeah, because it's not just leaving the club, lot, is it? It's kind of, you know, the potential of, of giving up the chance to play for their country as well, because it stands with the current RFU 
regulations. Yeah, ironically, the regulation was brought in to keep players in this country, understandably, to keep our best players, but also because at the time, the French clubs were not necessarily as cooperative in terms of player release and all these other things. The irony is that Toulouse are probably the easiest club that Steve Borthwick has to deal with now. They were like the English clubs used to be. And I think that's the point, is that you get different negotiations. I mean, I'm I'm all for players, um, you know, coming and going if they have to, if they have to go and earn a salary. But what we can't do is allow our league to be anti-competitive. And I do feel that if a player has to give up his international career to go and earn what he can earn, that is a bit sad, really. So I do think that the RFU do need to relook at that rule and maybe change it, in, in, you know, for the next couple of years. Christian, there's so much for us to go at with the, with the game, as there always is. Duty of care, we can go down the concussion route. But I think we're all trying to grow and improve the game. If you could have three things that would improve the game in the coming years on the agenda, what would those top three things be? Yeah, my overarching aim for us in the next two years is that we've got to become signatories to the PGA. We want the players to be partners in the game. You just mentioned about growth. There's two ways that I think the game's going to grow. One is we value players better. and They become bigger individuals, bigger stars. You then bring in more supporters who want to support individuals. And the other way is the women's game, which is brilliant is just exploding in front of our eyes. And actually, the personalities within the women's game are absolutely outstanding. What they do post-game, what they do in the week, I think is probably making some of the men take notice as to how it it can be okay to be a a kind of public persona and still perform at the weekend. So those are my overriding things in terms of the signatures to the PGA. And we're working hard on that. We've started meets regarding it. I think getting that signature is going to be difficult. I can tell you we're having a great deal of input already. We had five smaller goals. So so one is around the you know, long-term health and welfare and that absolutely links into head impact. So, you know, reduction in head impact. It's not about big knockout concussions necessarily. It's about how many times you hit your head over your career. If we make that lower in any regard, we need to. We've said about investing in former players and players full stop. So that's the benevolent fund. And we do things like we invest in players in terms of education grants, preparing them for life after rugby. Now you put me on the spot and I'm trying to think of the other things. Uh, standard contract is up for a review at the same time. If you think of the t- these two years, it's a time of change like no other because you've got the PGA up, which only happens once every eight years. You've got the player deal up. You've got the salary cap under review. You've got the standard contract under review. And you've got the England women's contract up as well. So uh, my workload at the moment. Good luck. Good uh, luck. That sounds harder than government at the moment, that. Final question for you then, Christian. Both of the Premiership clubs you played for, Sale and Northampton, are in the playoffs at the weekend. If they end up face-to-face in the final, who are you going to be cheering on? The thing about the job I'm in now is I can't really support anyone overtly. <laughs> this is I true. was at Sale this weekend, I was on comms, and I do love seeing Sale just emerging a little bit more as a force again in the North. I remember playing against a very good player in Loris Delalio when I was about 20 years old in the semi-final at Stockport. So yeah. Beats us comfortably. It's a, it's a long, long time since Sir Sharks have been there. I can't speak highly enough of Northampton Saints, a proper rugby town. I do hope they both get to the bat. They do. I can uh, I can whoever wins. Yeah, the end of season is going to be good. Okay, we're not quite finished with you, Christian. Hopefully these questions Lawrence is going to ask you next now are going to be a little bit easier because you're going to get tackled now by Delalio. Tackled. Your full name, please. Christian James Day. 
Beautiful name. Favourite takeaway or you're a previous player who's been on MasterChef, so presumably uh, you just scorn the idea of a takeaway these days, do you? Absolutely not. Fish and chips. Oh, do you know what we didn't mention, Laura? Sorry, I know this is like this is cutting across the short questions, but Christian always brings us lovely cakes in when he comes on BT as well. I thought that was worth the mention. Always beautiful cakes. Yeah, sorry, Christian, I forgot to mention that. Thank you. Carry on as you were. Thank you. We'll cut that bit out, yeah. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> What's your nickname, Christian? Well, when I was a player, my nickname was Daisy, and that, that's kind of... Uh... Our fashion since, but it's still quite funny when uh, <laughs> you say, hey, hey, Daisy, and people's eyebrows raise. So, uh, <laughs> More of a sunflower, aren't you? Because you're enormous. Who's the most famous person in your phone book? Got a lot of rugby players in my phone. We're going to go outside rugby. We've got a few famous chefs, actually. So like, Jamie and Oliver would be one. Oh, look at that. Pick that one up, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the funniest person that you know? It's a love-happy relationship. But Chris Ashton is genuinely a very, very funny guy. He has done some things which I could not tell you about on air, but he is a... <laughs> I mean, talk about the extremes of rugby, you know, 101 tries one week and then, and then red carded for his last game. I mean, what a Muppet. A very misunderstood character. As yeah. Well. I mean, you know, shock horror wings can't tackle. Brilliant. What's your favourite karaoke song? If you have to stand at the front of the bus, what do you sing? Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis. I would do the full song. They'd love it. Oh, perfect. Uh, right. The, the two poignant questions. Who's the best rugby player of all time? Who's the one that made Christian Day think, do you know what? When I grow up, I want to play rugby. Maybe not growing up, but the player I played with it who did things that I could never imagine doing was Jason Robinson. Growing up, I mean, I'm old enough that I got the purple posters on the wall with the likes of Will Carlin and Jason Leonard and people like that. I still tell this story now to players, you know, the purple tracksuit was the basically the be all and end all. If you ended up with a purple tracksuit, which obviously means you're slightly emotionally disturbed anyway, <laughs> then you were, you were rocking. And listen, uh, Christian, your most memorable moments in rugby. What's the one moment that stands out? I think on the pitch... I was probably too young when we won the t title at Sale. I was only 22, 23. I didn't really get it. Whereas at Saints, we've been on a long old journey to get there. So that, that one meant a lot. And lifting that trophy was awesome. But I guess for me, the whole career, the people you meet along the way, the people I'm still in contact with now, they're what make rugby special. Brilliant. Christian, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with your role at the RPA. You know, you've got some big, big negotiations. It's a big year. I don't doubt you'll continue being a brilliant advocate for the players and have a tremendous impact in that role. So thank you so much for being so candid. As usual, I wish everyone in rugby could be that candid and uh, we'll speak to you very soon. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. 
QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Okay, so let's chat through the rugby then, shall we? So going into the weekend, we already knew, of course, what the top of the table looked like, but it was all about who was going to bag themselves a place in the final eight with the contest coming down to Bath, Bristol and Gloucester. But despite the Bears beating Gloucester 36 points to 21 down in Ashton Gate, it ended up being Bath who were celebrating earning a place in the European Cup after their 61-29 win over Saracens. Lawrence, it was dramatic to say the least with these two fixtures. One minute it was Bristol, they Mm. were in eighth spot, and then it was Bath. Then it was Bristol again. Then just when you thought it was all over, Ollie Lawrence went over for a try when the clock was in red, entirely unintentionally on Gloucester's part. They were awarded a penalty try at 83 minutes, which would have actually been enough to help Bath out, even if Ollie's try hadn't happened. What did you make of it all? Because by the end of that game, I had to like keep looking up at the scoreboard because I was kind of checking what was going on elsewhere. I didn't have a clue what was going on. Well, uh, thank goodness it was the most amazing end it was. of the season. At, you know, down, down in for that last, I mean, it's, you know, I know you're clutching at a little bit when you're talking about you know the last Heineken Champions Cup spot being the, the highlight of the season, the qualification for that. But kind of because of the strange nature of the the Premiership this year, losing two clubs and a bye week. You know, you got Northampton not playing, you have got Saracen sending, albeit an understrength team. So there was a lot that had already been decided, and it's unusual for that to happen. But it's so good when all the games kick off at the same time. Yeah. Now I know that that only happens at the end of the season, but we always get some sort of jeopardy or some sort of drama, and maybe they should do that at the beginning of every season maybe that would announce the season to the general public who don't watch rugby we've got to think of different ways to make the game more dramatic and to create this kind of jeopardy and this drama that existed and as you said you know two clubs that have been through it a little bit and Bristol you'd have thought were in pole position to make that happen and do you know what there's a part of me even though Bath were one of my great rivals over the years and they were the best team in the amateur era by some considerable distance there's part of me that doesn't like to see a team beaten every week. And I think the story in Bath, in its own special way, has been quite interesting. I mean, they're not short of a few quid, let's be honest. But the Ollie Lawrence slash Ted Hill kind of uh, reality reality check that's come into Bath. And maybe, you know, a few of those boys that when they walked out of Farley, maybe had a long look in the mirror and thought, maybe it's more about what I'm doing rather than what everyone else is doing. And I think the story there has been incredible. So Ollie Lawrence, well done. Bath, well done. It's amazing how just a few different things in life can change your focus. Because Van Grant, yeah, because he said that, didn't he? I remember um, interviewing him a couple of months ago and asked him, because we could kind of see changes, couldn't we? They were almost there a few months ago. And he was saying that it has been a reality check having these players coming in because it kind of makes the squad appreciate how kind of lucky they are and what they've got. So I I think you're right. I think you're bang on. That Bristol game, Nick, I saw Charles Peter say his final farewell uh, to the Bears with a yellow card. Unfortunately, I know it's not the way he'd want to finish his last game because he has been absolutely box office. We know he's box office, don't we, at Ashton Gate. Um, But he wasn't the only departing player to fall foul of a card this weekend. We have to mention Chris Ashton. He was shown a red in Leicester's game against Quinns. And and that could be the last time that we see him for the Tigers, which, which will be... A really sad end, I guess, to what has been an amazing career. Absolutely right. But I think, you know, that's kind of uh, Chris Ashton all over, isn't it? But I mean, it, it would be a real shame if that's the way it ends, because let's remember the 101 tries. And if you think about it now, he got banned from doing the Ash Splash, if you remember, at the time. I mean, that's sort yeah. of how, how times have changed, because if you had a player in Test Rugby doing that now, people are saying, yeah, let's have more of that. We need more of that because it brings, it. it brings you know, the verasmataz that we want to the game that's been potentially missing. So it's funny how it's changed, isn't it? It's so hard to write your own scripts. I mean, I, I, you know, 
was lucky in one sense that my last game of rugby in the premiership was a premiership final. But for those who don't know, two weeks before that, I was pulled up in front of the judiciary for striking an opponent, Julian White. And nowadays, I can tell you now, whether you're Lawrence Delalio, Jason Leonard or whoever, I'd have been banned for the rest of the season. And that was it. I think the uh, Jeff Blackett, the judge, looked at me he thought, this is two weeks left to the end of your career. And this is the first time you're in front of me, which was the first time. And uh, Surprisingly. He, he, I mean, I said, listen, I didn't, I mean, who in their right mind would strike Julian White? I mean, you've got to be mental to do that. So I said, clearly that was, uh, the video footage was not conclusive. So I got banned for one week for striking an opponent. Now, can you imagine that happening now? No way would that happen now. So... I do have a lot of sympathy. You see, he did the easy thing. He banned me for one week and I went to watch a horse that I had running at Sandown with Frankie Dettori on board instead of going to play Leicester away. And then I played in the Premiership final, Leicester at home, and uh, and we won. So I do feel for Chris Ashton and Piertau because... I think the modern day player doesn't have it quite as uh, as easy. Definitely not. No. Okay. Well, Harlequins um, took only their second win in a decade at Matoli Woods Walford Road, winning 2017 over the Tigers and confirming sixth position in the table. Then London Irish pushed aside all the off field noise about their finances to beat Exeter 17 14, giving them their highest finish since 2009 as they took fifth place. And Sale ran in seven tries against Newcastle Falcons with a final score of 54 12 of the Falcons finishing the season bottom of the table so time to choose our player of the week player of the week with qbe business insurance be prepared lawrence do you want to go first oh that's very kind of you i'm going to not go too far away and uh, his name is lawrence but his first name is uh, ollie and i do like a happy ending story because listen he's had the most incredible season worcester warriors player their best player funnily enough before they went into administration and I think it's just a lesson, you know, in in, in how to dust yourself off and, and go into a club like Bath. And what he's done is he's lifted everyone. He's lifted the whole club, but he's also lifted himself. You know, this is a player that got picked by Eddie Jones. I uh, didn't touch the ball in his in his first international and then got dropped. Uh, uh, hello, I'm actually better than that. Uh, so uh, if you give me the ball, I can do a few things. So he's lifted himself, his England career. He's had a fantastic season, missed out against France, but I think he's been brilliant. And then to score the try that takes Bath into the Champions Cup. I think he's my star of the season, let alone star of the week. Nick? I'll go on Martin Gonzalez at uh, London Irish. He scored two tries and it's just kind of indicative of the depth that um, Irish have been building in their squad, that they've got someone who can mix and match there, but come in at seven and have a, a really impactful game. Tom Pearson came off the bench. You know, he's, I'd say he's young player of the season quite comfortably in, in my mind. And, you know, he set up the second try for Gonzalez that sealed the game. And that was a really tense win for them for everything that they've been through and continue to go through now. And I thought it was a pretty big deal for Irish and their fans that they won that match. I'm going to go for, I think I'm going to go for Ted Hill, actually. It's kind of like you, Lawrence. It's it's more like a culmination of player of the match's performance as well on the final weekend of the regular season. I know, I think he did get player of the match, didn't he, this weekend anyway. But I just think he's been outstanding at Bath after everything. You know, he went through, like you said, same for Ollie Lawrence and a couple of them. It was his fourth player of the match medal since coming to the rec. And that's four for him and Ollie Lawrence. And I think he won, did he win forward of the year, I think, at Bath Player Awards? I reckon he will be, he's got to be, well, I would imagine if you're the coach there, Van Graham, you're thinking, I better make this kid captain. Captain, season, that was going to be my night. He speaks so well as well. Like when he speaks, I want to listen. I mean, he's, yeah. spoken, he's spoken to the players, but I actually go, this is my first and second game and I'm winning player of the match awards. Yeah. What's, the matter, what's the matter with the rest of you? Come on, <laughs> will, you, will you finger out? No, I really like Tertel. There's another interesting point there with the two players, which is in terms of test selection, we knew that Eddie Jones was fairly 
damning about the quality of the premiership and the preparing players for test rugby. But even putting that aside, you're talking about two Worcester players who couldn't get a look in when they're at Worcester. All they do in the same season is move clubs and all of a sudden they're suddenly ready to play test rugby. What you're talking about is actually the test selectors have to look beyond the end of their nose and beyond the top four in the premiership. Every other test nation does that, and we've got to do yeah, that. Yeah, I agree with you, but although, yeah. although to be fair, Ted Hill and Ollie Lawrence were both brought in, they just weren't treated very well. Really. Well, quite. <laughs> then that, that and another 100 players. Yeah, you're not wrong, though. <laughs> I think there probably is about 100 of them. Okay, um, so it all now turns to next weekend and the semi-finals. Uh, Saturday, sees Northampton head to the Stonex to face Saracens. Um, Nick, you'd think Saracens have, have got to be favourites for this. I mean, they're unbeaten, aren't they, at home this season? Um, but can we write off Saints that easily? No, I definitely don't think we can. But I think we're talking about six away Premiership semi-final winners ever, which is pretty crazy. And yeah, Saracen's unbeaten at home all season. And so, yeah, all the odds are stacked against Saints. But it's an interesting one because they, they're topping a lot of the stats, Saints, in terms of you know line breaks and meets carried and those sorts of things. But their defence has held them back. They got in at the end and it was a bit dicey, but they've made it. They definitely got the firepower to do it, but it just seems like Saracens are even with, you know, injury issues and everything else. It seems like they're, you know, you'd expect them to have enough to win, but it's going to be very, very, very tight. It's that big game mentality, isn't it? I commentated on Saints last season in the semi final away at Welford Road and they should have won that game. I mean, they had tries to score the game and, and then they lost. This season, 29 points up they were at the Stonex Stadium. 29 points up with about 25 minutes to go and they lost the game. So they've got the firepower. There's never a better time to be playing Saracens than right now, I can assure you. And that's what Saints will be saying. They are beatable. It's just a question of whether they can deliver the knockout blow. And and for Mark McCall, he must be having a few sleepless nights because, you know, they've lost the, the three big games that matter in the last 12 months. Saracens have lost. Sale, take on current champions Leicester Tigers, uh, Lawrence. Um, again, Sale's home record is pretty impressive, like Sarri's. Um, I think Harlequins are the only team who've actually managed to win at the AJ Bell this season. Um, and that was like back in October or something, wasn't it? It feels like Sale have been quietly going about their business this year without too much fuss or drama. Um, and they're going to be tough to beat. Yes, they are going to be tough to beat. Alex Sarnas is a guy we like a lot, you know, because he speaks from the heart. He has got a winning mentality because he had that at Saracens as a coach. I think he's definitely improved Sale season on season. You know, is it a successful season? Yes, they're in the playoffs. They've got a home semi-final. They finished higher up and they played better this season than they did last. There's a lot of players re-signing at Sale and that's always a good sign when some of your best players are re-signing in the current climate. And Alex, he spoke on on, uh, BT Sport. He's had a really difficult time personally, you know, with his illness of his mother. And he's he's a man that wears his heart on his sleeve. So I think it's going to be tough for Leicester. You know, they've got what it takes. They've got the minerals as they showed, they've got the tools. Um, Were you doing do an impression job. of yourself then? <laughs> I don't know what I was doing an impression of really, but I was doing an impression of someone. They've got the tools to do the job. But uh, I lost one semi-final playoff and that was away at sale, okay? All the others you win because they're at home. And I mean, if you're going to play the whole season and sale have been very consistent, they've just gone under the radar. They've been second, third for the whole season. You do not lose a semi-final at home. So I would expect them to win. Big statement for them. And it just shows how hard it is now to go back to back to back. But Leicester, by the way, have had a fantastic season. Whatever happens, they could get to the final. But given that they had their entire coaching staff ripped out, you know, halfway through the season and and even still more to to come next season, there's not many clubs that would be able to stabilise that and still end up in a playoff semi-final. Yeah. So who are you going for then? Let's do some predictions. Nick, we'll go Nick first. I think Saracens and Sale will both win. Yeah, I think they will. Well, 
Um, I agree. I think I'm going to go with the, t- the top two teams in the league. Two home semi-final wins. Saracens against Sale. I just think if I was looking at it from a neutral, which I am, I think they're coming to the boil just at the right time. You know, they've got um, George Ford back and now actually back playing very well. They've got the best defence in, well, I think certainly the best defence in the country, even though they lost Mike Forshaw to Wales. And I know we celebrate tries and so we should, but... Um, defence wins matches and uh, you know as Sean Edwards who said defence is not that thing that goes around your garden it's what wins matches <laughs> that was a better impression you do a better impression okay. of him than you do yourself okay <laughs> alright well there you go um, so what we're saying then two home semi-final wins yeah I think two home semi-final wins and congratulations to all four sides for, for getting there yeah it's going to be good this weekend and Sarah you're going to be at both games I mean I you've am. clearly got some you've got some days to fill out haven't you really <laughs> I'm so really upset go. someone I'm working all weekend <laughs> uh, but no I'm really looking forward to them actually I think they'll be really good semis exactly. so um, now be good and then we've got Europe haven't we when the cavalcade arrives it's like Beyonce's arriving <laughs> I wish. I wish. Uh, cool. Sarah's here. Don't, guys, Sarah's here. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll be rolling we, in we, my short skirts and sequins. We, we can go on air. We can now go on air. Sarah's here. Beyonce's arrived. On that point, Lawrence, you can like close the podcast now. Thanks for that. Exactly, Thanks for coming. Exactly. Austin, your private jet's waiting for you. There you go. You're flying it. <laughs> Right, I've no doubt both games are going to make great, great viewing. Uh, I shall be at Saracen Stonex with Sarah. Until then, my thanks go to our guest this week, Christian Day, and of course, to Sarah and to Nick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.